This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatane by Moera Karatai. Kia ora, Moera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well. Happy Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. Oh my gosh, is it that close already? It's just it getting is. mad. What are you doing for Christmas, Sam? Well, first thing in the morning, we're going for a swim in the harbour. Just for something completely different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, people are coming here and then we're going to the beach. It's nice. either going to be sunny at the beach and we'll have a picnic or it's going to be not sunny at the beach and we'll just go for a walk. But the beach for the afternoon sounds- is the plan. That's what we've done for the past few years. That sounds perfect. And what about you? We're off to Carla's house. Carla, cool. who we've had on our show. Um, we're off to her house as we do every year. We go to Carla's and we just eat and talk about very important things and have a really fun time. That sounds great. And who are we introducing today? It's my great pleasure to introduce Sean Hennigan. Sean is a homeschool mum uh, and an artist, a writer and a costume maker. That is a really cool mix of very important things. Welcome Sean. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Gura, thank you very much. Gura Sean. Where are you Sean? I am in Dunedin. Um, we live in Mornington, which is a little suburb in Dunedin, and it's a wonderful sunny day today, but not quite as hot as it was two days ago. Thank goodness for that, I say. Yes. The water in the harbour, I went for a swim first thing this morning, the water hasn't warmed up any. It doesn't. That's um, one thing. I love swimming. Um and when it's warm in Dunedin, I always think, oh, I'll go to the beach and have a swim. And I always think, nope, that's colder than I wanted it. To be. <laughs> it takes a long time to warm up. What are your plans for Christmas Day? Uh, we go and visit uh, my husband's parents and have Christmas dinner there. Um, so just a, a foodie Christmas. Um, every year we tend to just think about the food. <laughs> So on this show, we ask people about their bubble life. And of course, bubble life has got complicated on us. How was your bubble life last year? The first bubble life? Yeah, it was a a weird mix of um, peaceful and and slower than usual. um, But also the sort of crushing anxiety (laughs) It's one of those things that was easier and harder than everyday life. You have all these routines you build up around you, and they're almost like a protective armour. They kind of keep you moving through. And when all of those routines are thrown, it can be quite emotionally draining. But at the same time, there was a lot of peace 
you know, a lot of family dinners, which we don't regularly get, a lot of uh, walks along quiet roads. I mean, I think that's the thing I noticed the most is how quiet the roads were, um, which was kind of lovely. Uh, you know, it was one of those things that when lockdown finished, I missed the most, which is a weird thing to miss, but I really missed it. And you're homeschooling anyway. How did homeschooling during a pandemic go? <laughs> um, yeah, this, it's a question I feel a lot because people are like, ah, oh, wow, you must must be easy for you. Uh, lockdown, you're already at home. Um, and I really just want to say no. <laughs> uh, lockdown homeschool is hard and it's hard for everyone. Um, there's certain things we were absolutely used to, like they were used to, my, you know, my kids were used to um, spending the day with the family. They were used to that slower pace of things, not uh, being in a classroom. But by the same token, they were really thrown for a loop because they didn't get to see their friends. They didn't get to go out and about. A lot of our um, curriculum is field trips, spending time out of the home. And then when you're in lockdown, that really changes things. Um, and, and, you know, homeschooling in a crisis is not the same as homeschool. It's, it's not the same thing. So, yeah, a, a challenge, definitely. But you would certainly be more experienced at it than most parents. Did you, you, you would have seen in your friends a, a variety of different responses. Did anyone, you know, fr from the, the ones that took it as a project to pretty much saying, okay, just living through a pandemic is school enough to <laughs> the school trying to stick to a, a, a standard curriculum? I suppose the question is, what works for you and can others learn from that? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I do think there's a huge range of what will work for different whanau. Um, one of the first things that I did when I started homeschooling and then, you know, second version when we went into lockdown is, is give everyone a break, give everyone the space to find their way. Um, and that means not necessarily having set expectations for set times of the day or even set expectations for kids across age ranges. Uh, every child learns differently and children are amazing learners. They have um, a huge capability to gain information, providing it's something they're interested in, something they're passionate about, and that they're facilitated to do so. So giving them the opportunities. And just sort of leaning into that rather than trying to do this rote learning can really lift a lot of weight off of shoulders of people who want to um, homeschool. And when I saw my friends struggling online, I mean, I didn't want to do that thing where you tell people how to do things because everyone's going to find their own way. But I did try and give them a little comfort that, hey, even if for four months your homeschooling is doing little nature walks around the block or playing with Lego five hours a day, that's a lot of learning. There's a lot of learning in that. And children will pick up those other things like the reading and the writing that everyone's really, really um, focused on that kind of comes in alongside of it so 
it's hard for children not to learn, I think is the thing that you need to realise. <laughs> One of the advantages of homeschooling is the flexibility and the, able, the ability to do projects around what's actually happening. Did you do any projects around the pandemic? Yeah, um, we did... Well, actually, yes and no, I guess is the answer there. So we did definitely talk about um, the pandemic and viruses and um, we looked at, at historic pandemics, um, but I didn't want to get too heavy. So I guess we tried to have enough information to take some fear away uh, and provide some information, uh, but also focusing on the other really important aspects of life. Ironically, um, with my older son, we were doing um, some Holocaust work just before the second lockdown this year. So we were looking at um, structures of power, Holocaust, context of history, and, and different kinds of um, genocides, which is all very heavy stuff. But but we were, you know, we were both interested. And then lockdown happened, and I was like. Yeah, I think that's too too heavy going for us. We'll stop. We'll stop on that. We'll move on to something a little bit yeah, lighter, talk, a little bit more. Yeah. Let's talk about some flowers. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, which is not to say I wanted to avoid that. It's just you've got to really um, balance mental health against uh, need to learn, I guess. And and I think that's one core reason why we homeschool is school is great for teaching a lot of kids in a group um it's what you sort of have to do but for a lot of kids it doesn't meet their needs for a lot of kids it does like i always want to give that kind of context but many kids do go through school and slip through the gaps or end up with kind of chronic anxiety in homeschool for us is one way to try and um support our kids to be the, 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 the most whole and complete they can be when they, you know, when they reach adulthood. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Goshira, Amazonia. Why this one? Um, long answer, sorry. I'll try and keep it concise. But I learned to play ice hockey uh, last year or mostly this year. And... Um, I really, you know, it's really outside of my skill set in my wheelhouse. And when lockdown, the second lockdown happened, we had to stop for a few weeks. And that I really struggled with that because I actually just really love it. Um, learning something new that I'm really crap at, <laughs> that kind of challenge was amazing for me. And this is one of the songs I would listen to to get myself in the zone before a game. Um, you know, Gojira are an amazing band. They have a really strong ethical, moral standpoint, but also just a really cool song. So that's why. <laughs>
Sean, um, homeschooling your kids gives you like this um, most amazing relationship with them, and um, and I envy you the time that you have with your kids to be able to you know to be able to do that, and and how lucky your kids are. But it must also give you, um, I guess, an insight and a comparison um, into how how sometimes life can be really difficult for other kids in our community. If there was one thing you could change about the, you know, about the way that our communities are engaging with kids at the moment, what would that be? Oh, gosh, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? Um, I, I, I am very passionate about treating kids with humanity. And I know that a lot of us think that we do do that. Um, but there are a lot of childist kind of things. Like it's very normal now for grown adults to say, oh, I hate kids. And I'm like, you wouldn't say that about any other group of people in the country, would you? Um, and so children are often treated with disrespect and they have a lot of their decisions taken away from them. Um, they're not given the space to be human like grown-ups are given the space to be human. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, being upset, um, they're often told to stop crying, stop making noise. And a lot of that's to do with the absolute mental drain it is to be a parent. Like, I'm not saying I'm perfect, um, but I'd really like to see a shift in the way that we raise our kids that just spends a bit more time acknowledging um, acknowledging their needs at a really fundamental level. And that's across all um, I hate this word, but all classes in New Zealand. <laughs> and that that also may mean supporting families because a family that's struggling with money and struggling with time and struggling with a whole range of things can't support their kids, right? So it's like that bottom-up thing. We need to treat our kids good. Where do we start? Oh, maybe it's treating our families good. <laughs> maybe treating our communities good. <laughs> Does that make sense? It makes really good sense. So how do you reckon we do, how do we do that? How do we make the change? What's the social change needed to make that happen? Oh, yeah. Again, million dollar question. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty radical socialist. I believe in uh, giving, uh, giving people or at least allowing people to have um, more money and more resource and more compassion um, so I guess overhauling our welfare system would be my big start and I think that's the best way to reduce uh, damage to our children but also one of those sort of grassroots things I learned about gentle parenting and um, connected parenting from my community around me um, I learned about breastfeeding from other breastfeeding mothers. Not that that's in our life right now, but just it's one of those things. When you have a strong community, when you have people to role model to you and support you with the right things, then it's easier to make good choices. Um, and, and for me, a lot of that is kicked back against sort of baby whisperers and um, authoritarian or disciplinarian parenting help support because I think a lot of those are often financially motivated and they don't actually take into account how children and how humans work. They're, they're more about making children more convenient and making them more compliant. And I'm like, do you really want 
compliant children? Is that your goal when they reach adulthood is compliance? That just seemed a really nice place to stop. I can't, I can't improve <laughs> any of that. That was perfect. I do you want compliant children? No, I don't. <laughs> Okay, so let's go with questions about. <laughs> well, Sean, no, I don't want us to have compliant children. I want us to have radical children. And I think it's those radical kids who have got the solution to everything that's wrong with our world already tucked inside their brain waiting to come out. Yes, so much this. Like I look at the young people of today, like, you know, like the teenagers and the young adults that everyone's like, oh, millennials. I know millennials is not the wrong term, but they say that any, uh, not the right term. They say that anyway. And I'm like, actually, these people are amazing. They're so diverse and accepting and they don't have a lot of these weird hangups that we were raised with as kids. They might have their own new ones, but they're just a really uh, flexible, fluid um, problem solving amazing people and they don't put up with a lot of crap which you know that's a good quality oh, i agree so our school system our school system is still built around um making a workforce of compliant people that's still what the school system seems to be built around it still hasn't changed to we need to create problem solvers and we need to create the big thinkers for the future so is there is that doable within the school system do you think or is it something we need to um, make sure that our kids are getting outside of school yeah that's a, that's a challenging question and a challenging problem to solve because i think the school system is the result of the need for families to be in the workforce and have two incomes and, and to feed the economy. Um, and it's the way to teach large groups of children, right? We divide them by age, we teach them all the same thing and we have the, the same expectations for all of them, which is great if that's the outcome you want is everyone's very homogenized in the end and they all have the same education and you want two working parents, I guess. But within that system, I think there are some, you know, that all sounded quite negative, but there are some really positive things as well. Like I think um, if the school has some really strong teachers with some really strong, um, you know, critical thinking skills uh, or are passionate or inspiring, they can all be really amazing. So, it is hard. I'm not even, you know, I'm not going to say it's not hard. But if if we have teachers who can role model that critical thinking and role model um, those research skills and compassion, uh, then we we will we will get there. I think the problem is with school is there needs to be a certain amount of compliance to to teach a bunch of kids, right? And uh, some of it is is silly. Like for me, when I was at school. Uh, dress code really made me mad. I couldn't wear a beanie to school on days when it was cold. Um, boys had to wear shorts even when it was freezing. Like that kind of stuff is sort of dehumanising. Um, as to whether overall it's possible to raise free thinking, critical thinking kids in a school system, uh, it's, it's totally possible, but I think we really need to unpick 
a lot of the um, just really strongly accepted school power structures, I guess. And there are some amazing teachers and even some amazing schools out there that are coming through. So I do see positive change. Um, I just think we need to maybe look at uh, other school system overseas that have made um, some really strong steps into making schools meet the needs of the child more than the needs of the workforce. Does that make sense? It does. It makes perfect sense. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotahua I hope you're all having the stable superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're on together is going to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here, making things better. Thank you. Now I know that for all of us, the last nearly two years have been incredibly stressful and trying and and we are still in the midst of a global pandemic that we are dealing with together. And for all of these many reasons and many more, it's so important that we're kind to ourselves and to each other as much as we can be forever. And I personally feel that we're all doing our best at all times. And it's so important that we acknowledge this for ourselves as well. If we can take the time to look back and feel proud, feel grateful to ourselves for carrying us through this time. And look back and feel grateful to each other for seeing us through, not just this time, but all our life. I had a wonderful day today at Otago Museum Storytelling again. Except, of course, that it wasn't me telling the story. It was all the beautiful children that were coming to see me. And some of their parents as well joined in, which was wonderful. And, of course, this got me thinking about storytelling and why it's so valuable to us as a species. And, in turn, all life. For, of course, when we are doing well and feeling good and having positive experiences, we're then able to draw upon much greater reserve of love and self-love with which to share with the world. So today we were focusing on sea monsters but our stories really went everywhere and I was blown away by the imagination and the creativity and the joy and the confidence and the freedom and the connection of all these beautiful young people to themselves and the world around them. And all we did was sit together for hours and just make up stories that went on and on and continued and continued in all these different directions. And all I had to do was ask a few little questions or make some sounds, encourage everyone to make sounds. And we could have stayed there forever. We actually stayed until just a few minutes before the museum closed because we were so captivated by each other, each other's creativity was so beautiful. And at one point, one of the bean bags that everyone was sitting on erupted everywhere. And of course, this became part of the story. So they became my multitudes of mermaid eggs, which I was very excited by and very honored by, and pearls of wisdom and 
pearls from the sea monsters, treasure chest and energy crystals and beautiful, delicately falling snow, all these things. And the children and their parents had a wonderful time playing in all of these pearls. It was beautiful. So I really hope for you that you're having time and experiences that really bring you into the present moment and refresh you and recharge you from this presence, from this spontaneity, from this joy, from this creativity. I really hope that you're having the opportunity to be so present that you can feel yourself, that you're being so present that you can really feel free and remember who you are and how wonderful you are. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Sean Hannigan. Sean, what do you do for for you? What do you do for your learning? <laughs> I love that question. Um, so one of the big things about homeschooling is that I'm not teaching my kids. They're kind of teaching themselves. I just provide uh, the resource, the time and the energy to facilitate that. Um, but one of the biggest things and the one, one of the um, things I love the most about home education is that I'm, I'm learning too and they're learning from me. Even if um, they don't do what I do, they get this role model of a mum who's learning things. So um, I do, I make costumes, I'm an artist. Um, my, my two sons uh, don't do art or craft at all. <laughs> which is really challenging as a homeschool parenting, uh, you know, parent, you, you want your kids to like take a little bit of you with them. And, and when they don't, you're like, ah, oh, wow, they're their own people. Um, but I, I love creating and homeschool gives me the freedom to um, do that. So uh, we talk of places of mutual, um, mutual fulfillment. And, and what I mean by that is, if we go to the beach, I can sit and read and get some peace and quiet and then the kids can play in the sand and everyone's having a good time, but we're not necessarily doing that together. And it's the same when I'm doing, like I'm really into costume making and I do cosplay and I make costumes. Um, and my oldest guy loves costumes too. He doesn't like making them, but he loves wearing them and he loves video games. Um, and so we have this site of mutual fulfillment where I get to make my costumes and I get to, uh, you know, go through those processes and do all that research that I really love. He gets to see me doing that. He gets to um, absorb that knowledge at his level of, you know, will. And um, then we get to do things together with costumes. So it's one of those sort of magic moments where I'm learning and he's learning that you can learn from me learning. <laughs> and it's the same with um, ice hockey. He he started doing ice hockey and then I was like, you know what, that looks really fun. They're sliding around ice with knives on their feet and big sticks. I don't want in on that. Um, and, and he got to see me um, learning something that I am not good at. Um, you know, <laughs> if, if anyone were to say to me, hey, you'll do ice hockey, I would have been like, Mm -mm, no, <laughs> um, but he gets to see me persevere through the challenging parts of learning something you're not good at. And he gets to role model to me and support me and he gets to teach me. And there's a whole lot of little lessons in those two sorts of things that really um, are fulfilling for um, us as a family. Like it's not even about my kid learning. It's about us as a family learning together. And I think that's 
um, you know, we have the luxury of doing that and it's a pretty fantastic thing that we can do. So, yeah. Are we going to see cosplay on ice? <laughs> I have thought about it. Um, a lot of my um, cosplays have a lot of foam in them, um, which means a lot of protection. So it's not <laughs> completely out of the question. <laughs> Watch the space. What are you working on at the moment? Um, I really enjoy a video game called Borderlands, um, and there are a number of characters in it that I've already cosplayed, and I'm working on um, a character called Butcher Rose. She's an evil supervillain, <laughs> for lack of a better term, but um, it's, it's sort of uh, she's themed on a, a western, like a samurai western cowgirl character i don't really like that word cowgirl but we'll go with that um and i'm really looking forward to finishing it i mean i think that's one of the things with lockdown is it has slowed my production down a lot um just simply the shifting of priorities uh, and you know i often make these costumes to go to conventions and you know what doesn't happen in lockdown conventions <laughs> um but you know, she's she's all planned and I've got all the pieces ready. I just need to start on the making. So that's what I'm working on currently. The theme of this show is positive but not deluded. Where does your positive mindset come and how do you keep that grounded? Ah, oh, that's it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, I'm a naturally positive person so um i tend attend towards the optimism um there's definitely been times i have struggled mentally but i always think there's another day that i've got an opportunity to do something that i enjoy um and i think i think a lot of i hate this term self-care <laughs> the self-care that i've done during lockdown is about giving myself space to not do stuff. Um, and I think that can be quite helpful for your mental space. Um, I think most of all though, I just try and see the best in people. Like if someone's struggling and they're not their best version of their self, I always try and see, see them, meet them at their point of need or see them, as they are and just you know so I've seen someone cut someone off on the road I'm like ah but then I'm like maybe they're having a bad day you know just try and see the best in people and even if it's not true if I think it's true then I'm more optimistic and more positive about humanity in general it doesn't have to be true does it it's just the story we're no, telling it doesn't. yeah and it means that I can be more compassionate um and that's where I try and land, is I always try and be compassionate. I think one of the challenging things about, um, you know, pandemic in general is that people can end up being really polar and really angry. And I totally get it. Like, I don't even want to say don't be angry, but I just want to say, hey, everyone's living their own journey. Let's try and find those points where we do agree or we do have something in common we do have similar needs and focus on how we can help each other and how we can be more compassionate and how we can listen 
uh, even if it's something we you know it's not really our worldview sometimes just listening is a big step in the right direction let's take the second of your music choices let's have a johnny flynn the detectorists i presume you're not going to tell me this is what you listen to when you learn to be an archaeologist but why this one One of the things, and I think everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people notice this, is they uh, went for TV comfort food. Um, and, and what I mean by that is I couldn't watch shows about the Holocaust <laughs> um, because it's just too intense. And I would watch shows that I'd already watched and I'd watch like really feel-good stuff. And it's quite hard to find feel-good stuff that isn't super cheesy. Um, and the TV show, The Detectorists, really hit that sweet spot for me, it was lovely. It was um, just directed really well. Like it, it uh, sort of pulled a lot of punches. Like they could have gone for the cheesy, um, oh no, additional drama for this reason that we've just decided to create additional drama. But it would do sort of these build ups, and then the resolution would be really human and really real. And it was more about how people interacted with each other than. Um, the situation they're in and I think that's one of the things I like about British TV in general is that it's about the people rather than the situation but The Detectorist was really comfort food for me and so the song becomes comfort food for me as well and when I play it I get this warm, cosy, comforted feeling. Will you search through the lonely earth for me Climb through the briar and bramble I'll be your treasure I felt the touch of the kings And the breath of the wind I knew the call of all the songbirds They sang all the wrong words I'm waiting for I'm waiting for you have seen lots of changes in society over the the last couple of years what do you think is going to stick and perhaps more importantly what do you hope will stick oh um 
I think I'm going to find this a challenge to answer because I, I, you know, I, I don't think I genuinely know. Um, I actually, I, I do know. <laughs> uh, after the first lockdown and after the second lockdown, homeschool applications increased massively. Um, and I'm not saying that everyone uh, chose to homeschool, maybe for reasons that I choose to homeschool, and I'm, I'm certain that there is a huge variation on, on why people choose to do it. Um, but I think the lockdowns did give parents who were already thinking about homeschooling um, kind of that confidence that, hey, actually I can do it. Uh, I get asked a lot, you know, how do you have the patience or do you have to be a teacher? And, and the answer is, Patience is a learned skill and you develop it together as a family and no, you don't have to be a teacher. But um, a lot of people who would love to homeschool but doubted themselves so strongly suddenly realised, oh, actually, I can do this. Um, and I think that is one thing that is, is nice for me. And, I, and I'm certainly not saying everyone needs to homeschool. Um, that's not my sort of end goal. I totally recognise that it's not for everyone and I support schools and school systems um, for the work they do within the community especially communities that you know home life's not so great um, but more homeschoolers and ones who already wanted to and already um, felt the need to do that or ch children whose needs weren't being met in school that's really positive and that's a cool outcome the, the rest of it you know Take it or leave it, there's a lot of changes that we will see, and I'm not certain how I feel about all of them yet. <laughs> that answers the question. Can you see any lessons that we can take from the pandemic response for the the bigger sorts of questions that you might have been studying before you stopped studying them because of the pandemic? Things like climate change and biodiversity, social justice, that those those tricky things that we haven't been able to solve. Are there any insights in the pandemic for those? Yeah, actually, um, particularly for the first lockdown where the whole world was very much, you know, going to ground, I guess, is recognising that as, um, as a collective, we can do things together if we can collaborate. Um, we can solve problems one of the biggest issues is you know we can't solve problems because we break everything down to individual responsibility and i think that's a really um poor way to solve things because even if every one person does one thing to try and prevent climate change it's not really enough we need to do we need to take action we need to um corporations <laughs> sorry i'm going with this we need to, um, as a group, make the changes from the top down, not the bottom up. And, and I know bottom up change is a really good way of making change. It doesn't work for things like climate change because there's no benefit to the individual to change their ways. Um, there absolutely is. That's not what I'm saying. But as an individual sees it, um, recycling is not going to save the planet while a giant corporation is still pouring pollution into the, the ocean or whatever they're doing. Um, you know, poverty won't be solved while we still have billionaires sending rockets into space. Um, so when lockdown happened, we realised, hey, actually, if we all change a little bit, 
we can change things, but it really puts the focus onto what we need to do at upper levels to change things. Um, and I guess the negative or the, the thing that was sad about it is people in poverty when lockdown happened really suffered and a lot of people died. Um, and I think recognizing that we have these disparities whilst it's not actually a solution, I think it really brought things into visibility. Or really clarified things is what I'm trying to say. I'm saying it in a very unclear way for which I apologize, but I think it just sort of crystallized what's really important about life. And I and I, I'm hoping, really strongly hoping that we carry those um those lessons forwards and don't just forget about it. Let's hope we don't. I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time, so we shall have to rattle through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, winning the cosplay best in show competition at Auckland Armageddon was probably just before COVID, but that was a big success for me. Oh, and learning ice hockey. So two, there you go. <laughs> We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? What's got you into the mansion? Um, creative problem solving. Uh, give me a ball of yarn, some bits of paper, and I can pretty much make you anything you need. I spent some bits of last night designing with my son who was not in, in the same place a shark's fin camera mount wow doing this so sort cool. of the same with cardboard and bits of sellotape trying to figure it out maybe we maybe we should have come around to you do you consider <laughs> it's a good start. do you consider yourself to be an activist yeah yeah, I do. Um, with with the um, not the proviso. That's not the word I'm looking for. But basically, with the comment that I'm not the activist who's going to go out marching on the street, um, but I quietly do it at home and online, um, and I'm really passionate. And I just find those little soft spots where I can push and try and aim for change in the best way that I can. I've asked that question quite a lot of times and quite a lot of people say words like like what you just said or quite a lot of people say yes but I'm not a Greenpeace activist and then I was <laughs> and then I was then we had someone from Greenpeace head office on the show and I asked him that and he says yes but I'm not a Greenpeace activist yes you are <laughs> yes you are Champ, what motivates you what gets you out of bed in the morning Oh yeah. Um it's it's a it's um it's a challenging challenging thing to encapsulate in a couple of sentences, but basically the um the opportunity and the ability to create uh and that's from anything from creating a delicious meal to creating a wonderful spot in my garden to creating a moment with the family. So I just um 
yeah, it's, it's hard. It's it's sort of like one of those ones you expect there to be a word for it in another language that encapsulate it, encapsulates it perfectly. But it's just those moments of satisfaction uh, where everything is, is singing lovely. Um, that's what I live for. <laughs> what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or two? Uh, getting getting back to the Auckland uh, Armageddon cosplay contest, I'm really I'm really hopeful and uh, optimistic that it will come back and I will be able to attend. Um, I've planned it for two years in a row, and as you might you might imagine, uh, two years in a row I did not go. So um, you know, fingers crossed for next year. And if that that doesn't come through, then I will be super excited to um, play more ice hockey in the league. <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? If I were to think back on everything we've talked about, um, try and um, try and exercise as much compassion as you are able to in the moment um, for everyone. Uh, and that's hard. It's really hard. Sometimes you have to drop your ego. Sometimes you have to take a pause. Sometimes you have to uh, listen to someone else or your inner self a bit more closely. But um, just be radically compassionate where it is possible to be so, um, whilst at the same time maintaining your personal boundaries. Oh, I know that's almost impossible, but, <laughs> but that, that's uh, words to live by, I think. They sound like good ones. Moera. Sean, thank you for your wonderful insight into the world as, as we're living it right now, uh, for making the world a, a more beautiful and interesting place with your art uh, and for raising thoughtful children because I'm certain that you are raising very thoughtful children. And uh, But all the best to you and your whanau for, the, for Christmas and the new year ahead. Um, and keep up the amazing work that you're doing. It was a real joy to have you on the show today. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, and thank you very much. Merry Christmas, Adam. Merry Christmas, Frank. Thank you. Merry Christmas to everyone. Yeah, man. Having a good year? Yeah, you know, it just feels good to be next to you here on the holidays. Hearing you say Merry Christmas, it just warms my heart, man. It's like soul food, like fried okra. Dude, I'm having a great holiday this year. It's awesome. Yeah, man. So, uh... So you want to sing for these people or what? Yeah, here we go. Okay. <clears throat> On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. I don't even know what a partridge is, to a be honest. A partridge is a bird. I think it's a bird that doesn't fly. Like Donnie Bonaducci? Um, no, it's... He's ripped. Ripped, I'm I heard he's a little, you know, falling off the deep end, maybe. Oh. Yeah, it was, well, he's gonna kick my ass now. No, I think he has that Napoleon complex. He's short. So on the on the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. Turtle cool. doves. Cool. They're, they're Do nice. they have shells? Uh, I don't know. Uh. But on the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. From now on, can you sing Anadani Bonaduce? <laughs> on the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. 
four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a tiny bonaduce. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, it works. The, the syllables. Yeah, so I started to wonder if she, if my true love, if my old lady was going to get me anything other than a bunch of birds. Yeah. So yeah, far, they're all like poofing everywhere and stuff. It's gross. <laughs> they're hard to clean up after. So far, she got me four calling birds, French hens, turtle doves. The French hens, which are or the French hens that are eating all eating all your cheese, drinking up all your wine, <laughs> like all hours of the day. I love France. So I was waiting when she was going to get me something good. And on the fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five golden rings. Nice. Yeah, I was finally happy. Four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a pot Danny Bonaduce. So like with the five golden rings, it's... That's kind of yeah, nice. Set. But then like on the Flossin sixth day, she started giving like me... Lil Wayne. <laughs> or, oh, what's another rapper that has like a bunch of silly jewelry? Um, I don't know any. Yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah. But on the sixth day, it kind of went downhill. And the seventh, because she got me uh, six geese a-laying. Which geese is, of laying, like geese, laying down? No, geese like, that are laying. Lame. Yeah, like, ooh, like... <laughs> That's no, gross. Yeah, I don't know about that. And then on the seventh day... I often wonder how geese actually would go about doing that. If you're picking up what I'm putting down. I, I don't want to talk about it, man. Uh, okay. On the seventh day... Seventh day. Seven swans swimming. More birds. Swimming. I, like I, I hate it. Or in your bathtub. On the eighth day, it yeah. got really weird. Yeah. Cause on the eighth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me eight maids of milking. What? Yeah. Wait, are they milking the eight geese maid? as they're laying? I think they're like lactating or yeah, something. I don't get cool. that. But I'm not into it. <laughs> but on the ninth day of Christmas, yeah. my true love gave to me nine ladies dancing. Nice. Oh, okay, okay, cool. That guy kind of. Oh, was oh well, did, well, that explains the maids of milking. No, these were like exotic dancers, like you can like see ding, on the ding, internet. Ding, 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 and things. Yeah, it was nice. There was like, yeah, one of those poles and all that stuff. Yeah, but this is your old lady that's getting you these things. It's kind of weird. She's, I know, but she's looking out for me, you know. Tenth day, tenth day. Okay, on the tenth day, I got crazy again. Yeah, because she gave me ten lords a leaping, like the dark lords. <laughs> I don't know. And then eleventh so day, Piper's piping. These are by far the strangest gifts. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Taking Back Sunday. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mwera Karatai in Fakatani, and we've been joined by Sean Hannigan in Mornington. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. So let's go down the list and finish this godforsaken song off and wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. Twelve drummers drumming 
Eleven pipers piping, ten lords a leaping, nine ladies dancing. Let's give it up for the ladies dancing. Go ladies. Okay. Eight maids a milking, seven swans a swimming, six geese a laying, five golden rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a dolly Bonatucci. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.